0: If you have your Bibles, we're going to be continuing on in our series, and we're going to be actually in the book of 2 Corinthians. It's a verse we use so often here every Sunday when we do our giving, and so we're going to actually be in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Now, I'm going to read to you 15 verses because that's what we're going to be walking through, all right, and to get the context of it. So if you were, would, we're just saying we one last time as we read God's Word together, you don't have a Bible, you can look on the screen, or you can pull up your smartphone. I'll be reading out of the Christian Standard Bible. And the word of the Lord says this to us. Now concerning the ministry to the saints, it is unnecessary for me to write to you, for I know your eagerness, and I boast about you to the Macedonians. Achaia has been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I'm sending the brothers so that our boasting about you in this matter would not prove empty, and so that you be ready, just as I said, Otherwise, if any Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to mention you, will be put to shame in that situation. Therefore, I consider it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance the generous gift you promise, so that it will be ready as a gift and not as an exhortation. The point is this. The person who sows sparingly will also weep sparingly. And the person who sows generously will also reap generously. Each person should do as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or out of compulsion, since God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make every grace overflow to you so that in every way, always having everything you need, you may excel in every good work. As it is written, he distributed freely. He gave to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now the one who provides seed for the sower and bread for food will also provide and multiply your seed and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way for all your generosity, which produces thanksgiving to God through us. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the proof provided by this ministry, they will glorify God for your obedient confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone. And as they pray on your behalf, they will have deep affection for you because of the surpassing grace of God in you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Father, we pray as we expound more upon your word, You would challenge our thinking and our hearts towards generosity and that, Lord, we, your people, will live in a way that would glorify you with all of our being. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. You know, money is the five-letter word that actually makes Christians cringe. It doesn't make the world cringe. It makes us cringe. Sadly, people in the world get it. It's a lot of things that you actually don't have to tell people who are not Christians about resources. They are part of a group or they're doing this. They understand the idea of generosity. They understand the idea of doing things with their wealth that would not only advance themselves, but others as well. But for some odd reason, sadly, within the church, because of a few bad apples, they have spoiled the bunch The Bible so clearly teaches about money, generosity, and wealth. In fact, Jesus was not afraid to address money, generosity, or material wealth. And we shouldn't be afraid to either. Just because you have a couple of jokers that take the idea of wealth and turn it on its head doesn't mean we run from it as biblical believers. We engage with it from the scripture, and that's what we're called to do. Jesus actually teaches us about material wealth. In fact, in Matthew 619 21, he says this. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Greed, though, is a cancer to us. It's it's to the Christian, it it eats away at the reality of the joy that God calls us to. Greed says that life is all about me, it's all about what I can amass. But biblical generosity destroys the very back of greed. And it calls us to live a life with open hands and live a life to the glory of God. This is what the scripture calls us to. I want you to think about this. God calls or uses normal people with normal means to accomplish extraordinary things for his kingdom. We're not talking about God calling only millionaires to his kingdom and then say, now I'm going to do all these things with people who have all this wealth. No, God uses normal people with normal means to accomplish extraordinary things for his kingdom. And as we walk through 2 Corinthians 9, I want to challenge all of us to grab a bigger picture of our generosity a bigger view of our resources, a bigger view of our lives and money that they're called to be used for his glory and the blessing of others. So the first thing we see here in verses one through five is that our generosity is zealous and intentional. Our generosity is zealous and intentional. So often we think of the first century Christians and we think that they're immensely different than us. Now, while they have, we have more technology and maybe we have some different cultural nuances, in the end, we're very similar because people have always been people. People will always be people. The very core of us, broken and marred, that needs to be redeemed by the finished work of Christ. And so we see the reality that all people are generally the, the same. And we find Paul writing this letter to the church at Corinth to not only correct uh, some unbecoming behavior that was happening in there, but we find him writing to them to encourage them to continue something they started, giving to the church at Jerusalem. Now, apparently, what happened was that there was a famine in Jerusalem. Now, all this stuff is going to tie in. This is why understanding the cultural, historical, and biblical context helps you to get a grasp, a bigger picture of what really the first century writer was writing. I want you to get what I'm saying here. He's writing this letter to a bunch of Gentiles, and he's telling these Gentiles, your Jewish brothers in the faith are now facing a famine. Now, even if you haven't been in church for a while, I'm going to key you in on a little something. In the first century back then, Jews and Gentiles did not mesh together. The Jews hated the Gentiles. The Gentiles hated the Jews. And now you're writing to me that I'm supposed to give my hard-earned money to some folks that I don't even like? All because they're in Jesus? Oh, hold on now. Paul writes to them to finish something that they were excited about doing and he tells them that there are other churches that have jumped on to meet this need. The church at Macedonia, he tells them, they helped even though they found themselves in immense poverty. Now, I want you to notice something here. In the New Testament, anytime we find giving, it's always in relation to the finished work of Christ. Anytime you hear it talks about generosity, it's always in relation to the goodness of God never in. I'm going to twist your arm. It's always in. God has been gracious. So we're called to be gracious as well. At this point, Paul says here now concerning the ministries of the saints. It's unnecessary for me to write it to you. In fact, what he all he's saying here, he says, look, I don't want to keep beating the dead horse. Y'all already know what the deal is. I've written to you already before, and I don't want to keep going over the point. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 16, 1 through 2, he wrote to him. He says, look, as I directed to the churches of Galatia, this is a a variety of churches, so also are you to do. On the first day of every week, so he's telling them how to coordinate their lives so that their lives could be generous to other people. He says, look, on the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside. You see the intentionality there? He wasn't telling them, show up and all of a sudden you get with the brothers and sisters and then, oh wait, wait, wait do I look, look, oh here's a nickel, Lord. No, he says, be intentional. On the first day of every week, each of you put something aside and store it up. As he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. Essentially, he's saying, look, I don't want to show up. And then all of a sudden, I got to get in front of y'all and give this whole talk about, hey, this is the need. This is what we need to do. No. Wouldn't it be amazing if we could just show up and we never had to talk about it and it just happened? Doesn't work like that, though. Didn't work like that then. So he's saying to them, you know. And you had zeal about giving to hurting Christians. This is the deal. What was the zeal? It's a, it's a deep concern, a deep, earnest concern. They had an eagerness. And in the first century, the city of Corinth was renowned for its prosperity. Although some believers were not wealthy, although not everyone was wealthy, the church as a whole possessed more than other churches. Paul is writing to a church that had means at that juncture of their lives to give and help other brothers and sisters who did not. This is the picture he's getting there. Now, Paul is writing to Gentiles to give generously to Jews. So he's not only encouraging them to be like Jesus, but he's also encouraging them to be countercultural. He says, look, Give to your brothers and sisters in need. And this is the reality. The gospel is countercultural. It causes you to live in a different way than you would not have lived. We see this reality in God's kingdom. God bringing together both Jew and Gentile, now becoming one new man in Christ. Now your ethnicity, although God values it and doesn't call it to go away, now in Christ, you become one in him. So now he's saying, look, these are your brothers and sisters. Although ethnically different, you're one in the same in Christ. I want to tell you something. Let me key you in on something. When I moved back here in 2014 to plant a church in this neighborhood, I had most of the churches that helped me and partnered with me and still partner with us didn't look like me. Ethnically, they were immensely different. But can I tell you something? They not only put it to work in their resources, they put it together in their feet as well. And some of us who are part of Connect Church already know how some of these folks have come in that don't look like us, but have given resources so that we could be a blessing to everyone around us. Then catch this. They don't ask for anything in return. That beautiful kids area that's back there, that beautiful fellowship hall, we had somebody say, hey, look, you know what we're going to do? We're going to give you $30,000 to go towards that for the glory of God. You say, well, what's the streets attached? Nothing. We just do it because we love you and because we love Jesus. Now, here's the thing. I want you to take a step back. What if it was us doing the same thing for somebody else? Oh, I would love for us to say right now there's Christians or brothers in need, and we could just write it all out to them and say, you know what? Bless you. Amen. In this cultural day, right as Paul is writing, this first century culture was taught that wealth was meant to be gained and only spent and heaped on yourself. Yet the kingdom of God says is not only comes from God, the wealth that we have, but it belongs to God and it's to be used by God for his kingdom work. So he says to them, look, I've been bragging on y'all. I've been telling you, for I know your eagerness and I'll boast about you to the Macedonians. I've been bragging on you guys, telling everyone how eager you are. And look what he says. I want you to have this gift ready, not as extortion. A free gift of grace is what God has given us through Christ. When we place our faith and trust in Christ alone, it is a free gift because Jesus bore the wrath of God in our stead. When you look to Christ, you look to him as the only sufficient savior and you receive from him unmerited grace. You receive grace right there. You say, Jesus, I look to you. Forgive me of my sin. And he pours out grace liberally psalm says he separates our sin as far as the east is from the west he doesn't bring it back up again isn't that a beautiful truth he pours out grace his grace never runs out the well is unending and it comes from him when we place our faith and trust in him so paul says look i don't want this to be like some extortion that's happening this is the idea of taking advantage of to exploit but explore it on how? Based on this also, the covetousness and greed in your own hearts. Alright, you see how this works? It's twofold. So you say, how in some of these churches, how are these people getting fleeced so much? Because covetousness works both ways. All right, all right. You have folks in churches that want to get wealthy, but disguise it as I want to be generous. No, what you really want is to have your padded, your real pockets padded with cash. So, what happens is you get under false teaching that tickles your ears and extorts you out of everything you have. So, you have the other side too, other folks being taken advantage of because they want to be generous. It goes both ways. But Paul says here, your giving should not be in any kind of way an extortion that's happening. Think about this I don't know anybody here unless you're the rare bird that loves paying taxes. Taxes are squeezed out of you. In a lot of real ways, they're extorted out of you. We give them like a turnip that's being squeezed with the juice out of it. You know what? There's zero joy. You can't tell me you find joy in paying your taxes. You might be glad you're able to, but there is no joy in that. This is what he's saying. Your giving should not be Extorted. It's like the idea of buyer's remorse. Y'all know what that is? That's what he's saying. When you give, you shouldn't walk away and say, man, I, sure, I should have held on to that money. Now, you may walk away saying, man, I was challenged and I was stretched and I'm trusting God. But you shouldn't walk away saying, man, I uh, ooh. you're being extorted. I would say this to you. If you're a guest with us today and you're part of a church that's like that, and you ever leave every Sunday and they're extorting you out of your money, they do five, six, seven offers, go ahead and don't leave, okay? <laughs> Just find someone where they're not doing that. No, he says you're not to be extorted. Generous giving is not a tax. It's not a twisting of the arm. When we give generously, it should fill us with joy that we're being a blessing to the people of God and his kingdom. So what about us? What about our city? What about our community? Giving generously to that. You saw what we did for the Fall Fest. Man, that just didn't happen like, you know, those cupcakes. No one just generously donated to that. We had to actually go purchase those. When we give generously to the work of God, it enables us to see our city transformed for the glory of God. I thought about this this week. Imagine if every Christian just said, I'm coming to church. Let's put outside folks who are not Christians yet. Let's just work on us right now. Imagine if every believer said, you know what? I don't care what the saints are doing. I don't care what this one is doing. I'm going to worship the Lord together with the saints of God, and I'm going to give generous to the Lord. You know what would happen? Man, we will be able to do amazing things in our city because why? All of us are on one accord seeing the need to help hurting people. This is what God calls us to do. What about our city? What about church planting? Imagine us in this body being able to plant another church that doesn't look like us in the community so that it can reach other folks. And we could say... We planted that church. We're partnering with this church planter over here, and we're loving on the community for the glory of God. I'm so thankful for churches that believed in what God was calling us to do here that they said, we're not only going to partner with you, we're going to give to what you're doing, to the glory of God. I want to tell you something. You're sitting in this place. You're sitting here right now. If you were reached from an outreach, if you were reached from a door hanger, if you were reached on social media, you were reached because somebody gave. What about global missions? I just had a missionary couple that reached out to me the other day. And they're moving to uh, Eastern Europe. And they said, man, we'd love for you to partner with us. eastern I don't know anybody. Is there black folks in Eastern Europe? I don't even know. <laughs> Here's the thing. I know for sure I personally have been called to Eastern Europe. But they have. What if we could go with them? In our generosity. What if we could be with them and partner with them for the glory of God? What if we could send other missionaries around the world and they came from this local body and we took care of them? This is what Paul is saying. It shouldn't be extortion. It should be because we love God. And here's the next thing we see in verses six and nine. Our giving is cheerful and generous. It's cheerful and generous. He belabors the point again. He goes into it telling him, look, the point is this. He says, look, just so you understand, I'll put it right out to you. The person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And the person who sows generously will also reap generously. Paul further illustrates this point using an example this culture could relate to. Agriculture. This is what they got. He's using an example that they could all relate to. So reading this as a first century person, you didn't go down to Walmart or the Costco. When you plant it, you got what you ate. You plant it, boom, this is what I'm going to eat. What you sowed in the ground is what you had in return. We literally don't have to read any more into this thing than what it says. All right, look, here's the thing. Folks love to take this scripture and make it so spooky and everything. See, you know, you got to sow this. Th- Just read the text. Put the text up there if you can. Read the text for yourself. Simple biblical interpretation. All right. We're not talking about reading anything spooky. We're not talking about you're going to do this. It's the magical seeds going to come. Read what he's saying. He's saying, I'm putting this point up to you. This is what he's saying in verse number six. The point is this. The person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And the person who sows generously will also reap generously. Each person should do as he has decided in his heart. The scripture is true. We don't have to jump around. Proverbs 11.25, a generous person will be enriched. And the one who gives a drink of water will receive water. Proverbs 19.17, kindness to the poor is a loan to the Lord. And he will give a reward to the lender. We see both here an immediacy as well as a promise that the Lord indeed does reward our generosity. We don't have to go. It's no deeper than that. It's no magical formula. It's no magical this. God blesses us when we're generous. That's all it's saying. That's all it's saying right there. Remember, he's already dealt with the heart motive. We give because of the goodness and grace of God to be a blessing to our brothers and sisters. And so that God's kingdom can advance. So God is gracious and generous to his people and he blesses our generosity to his kingdom. That's all I'm saying. It's very simple. What is the attitude of our heart? Each person should do as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or out of compulsion, since God loves a cheerful giver. This is all he's saying. Notice he goes again to the heart. So this is this, knowing the truth of the graciousness of our father, knowing the need of his people. No, there's no need to give any amount. You notice that he doesn't give an amount out there. You notice he doesn't say a thousand, fifty. We hear that all the time, right? You know, sow this seed of fifty dollars, then da, da, da. He doesn't even say any of that. Why? Because it's spirit led, it's based on the liberty and grace of Christ. So he says to them, You know how good God is. You know how gracious God is. You know how God has provided food for you. You know how God has done this. Now you see others in need. So guess what you're going to do? You're going to be generous and trust the father that his character will not change. Just because you open your hand. This is all he's saying there. Paul is essentially saying this. There's no need for reluctance in your giving. There's no need for sadness. There's no need for regret. But so many people fall into this category. There may be many of us in this room who who fall into this category of we're reluctant to give. And so what happens is, one, you don't give at all. You enjoy enjoy everything about what's happening in the kingdom of God. You want to be a recipient of all the things that happen in the kingdom of God, but you refuse to give at all. And that is an issue you have to take up between you and the Lord. Here's the next thing. Maybe you don't give at all, but maybe there's some of us who give very little. Now, remember, Paul didn't give them any amount. He says, look, Based on the generosity of Christ, based on the goodness of God, give that way. Is your generosity, is it in comparison to the goodness of God in your own life or what you see you should do? Here's the next thing. Maybe they don't give at all. Maybe they give very little or maybe you're not really intentional or consistent in your giving. We can all relate to this because here's the thing, unless you're that stickler type of person that like, you know, every time your bill is due, you got paid on time. You know, if you like folks like myself, I got everything on auto automatic bill pay. Like I just just all my bills are paid on time. Right. I'd never forget. God calls us to be in that intentional about our giving. To say, Lord, I'm intentionally setting aside either when I get paid or however it works, whatever it looks like in your life to intentionally give To the work of your kingdom. You say, well, pastor, that's easy for you to say. You probably don't even give to the church because you work for the church. A lot of people think that. No, my family and I intentionally give to the work of this local church. Because here's the thing. I'm not just the pastor. This is my local church. Why? Because I want to see God's kingdom advance for his glory. So just like all the other things that I pay, I give my I do my giving intentionally online, recurring all the way. Why? Because I don't want to question. I want to know that I'm giving and I'm giving it joyfully. Notice that this is a decision before the offering was to be given, this is an intentional spirit led generosity with an attitude that says, I do all this for the Lord in his glory. So my attitude is this. I see the bigger need. I give to the glory of the Lord and not with my arm twisted, but I give the way God loves cheerfully or happily. Here's what I see. If a pastor or leader has to get up and twist everybody's arm to give, there's something not happening in that church. Either one, the spirit of God is not really moving among the people, or two, they're trying to fleece you out of some stuff. True spirit filled believers should not have to have their arms to give to the kingdom work of the Lord. This is what Paul is saying. Here's the next thing. Our giving overflowing with grace. It's overflowing with grace. Grace. Look, as we come to the the last half of these verses and God is able to make every grace overflow to you so that in every way, always having in everything you need, you may excel in every good work. Often we can wonder, Lord, if I'm generous. What's going to happen to me if I'm generous? But he answers. He says, look, you will have what you need. God is able to make every grace overflow to you. A reluctance to give can often be rooted in a lack of trust in the provision of the Lord. Also, it's the idea of needing to hold on for comfort and security. If we're honest, if we check a lot of our hearts, we love our comforts more than generosity. God never tells us to give to the point where we will suffer in our homes, right? Actually, I don't even know why I address that because most Americans, we don't suffer with this at all, all right? unless you're in a real unbalanced church. No, God never calls you to give to where your home, no, take care of your home. Make sure your family's taken care of. He calls us a steward what he has blessed us with. What does he mean that every grace, that spiritual and material, God is able to pour out upon each of us. We can't pass up this verse so that in every way, always having everything you need, you may excel in every good work having all you need is the idea of self-sufficiency. Not, not like the American idea of self-sufficient, like I'm going to give enough money and then I'm going to be, I don't to need anyone else. No, this is the idea of interdependence. A dependent on the Lord and your brother or sister in Christ. My needs are met by the Lord so I can help others. One commentator put it this way, God will provide the means to be generous, that one can sow liberally In the confidence that God will bestow a liberal harvest. Now, we don't know how God will do it. God comes through in all sorts of different ways. We trust God. In Isaiah 55 10, it talks about the promise of God to his people to provide for their needs. And we see the reality of verse 11 in Isaiah 55 what God promises in his word will come to pass. We trust in the Lord. So this is the reality that we don't have to be afraid, but we can trust the Lord for everything we need. Why should we be afraid to live as generous as possible? To the glory of God, whatever that looks like in your life, to his glory. Why? Because he provides all our needs. I love this last part. As we come to the close, our very last point, our generosity advances the kingdom of God. Our generosity advances the kingdom of God. Look what he says. You will be enriched in every way for all your generosity, which produces thanksgiving to God through us. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Our thinking can often be immensely small when it comes to God's kingdom. Can we really fathom that God is working both here in New Orleans, but also in Cape Town, South Africa. Can we fathom that God is working and saving Muslims all over the world, but also saving folks right here in our neighborhood? God is a global God. God is a universe. God is in control of all things. And sometimes our view of what God is doing can be limited, but God is at work all across the world. I want you to think about this. We are all at different stages in our life. This is what the church looks like. We're all at different stages. Some of us are just starting our journey. Maybe you're in high school. Maybe you're in college. Maybe you're out of that and you're a young professional, right? And you're like, man, I don't have much. Maybe you're married with kids and you're like, man, you know, these kids are expensive and all this kind of stuff. Maybe now you're empty nesters and you're like, man, okay, finally, man, we get to do whatever we want to do, right? Or maybe you're, You know, one of our seasoned folks who have wisdom and insight, and you've seen some things. No matter where you find yourself on the road where God has you, that at every stage and every age, God calls normal people with normal means to accomplish extraordinary things for his kingdom. This is what the Corinthian church looked like. Folks of different backgrounds, folks of different uh, economic means coming together for the glory of God. We see generosity does benefit us. It, we're enriched by the Lord. We're enriched morally, spiritually, and physically. But the Bible says that right then, in that verse, verse 12 and 13, that we also see others benefited. Others are giving thanks to God for your Generosity. You say, how, Pastor? I don't see that. This, this is just far. Everybody touch the pew in front of you. You're sitting in that pew because somebody 50 years ago gave so you could sit there. Amen. Amen. You know those doors you pull on? You see this building? All this is paid for? Somebody was generous enough before any of us were in the picture to give so that we could sit right here. When you sit there and give praise and thanks to God while your kids are being loved on in the nursery, all that, somebody gave generously so that we now could give thanks and praise to God for his goodness. Now, I want to ask the question. What is the next generation going to say about us? I mean, I wanted us to really think about it because here's the thing. What is the next generation that lives in the city of New Orleans while we have breath in our bodies and after we're dead and gone? What are they going to say about the Christians who lived and worshiped here in this body? Or are they going to say, man, we didn't even know they existed? What about brothers and sisters who are being persecuted in Uzbekistan and Iran and all these different places? What will they say about us in this time season right now? Will they say Christians who I don't even know all across in America who go to Connect Church, will they say, man, I know that some folks love me because they gave so that I could go on? But what about another church planner? What about a a, a brother and a sister in the Lord who feel called as a couple to go and give their lives in a hard community? And what if they show up in our church and all of a sudden God blesses us with a couple like that? And all of a sudden they say we feel led to go. But we don't have anybody to support us. Wouldn't it be a crying shame if we folded our arms and said like this? Go. Be warm and well fed. And yet we benefited from someone else giving to us. I don't know what God is calling you to do. I don't know where God is calling you in this, but generosity to the kingdom of God tears down all sorts of walls. When the kingdom of God is advanced, We're not concerned about ethnicity. We're not concerned about political party. All we see is loss that need to be found, and we see good works that need to be done, and we see people in need, and so we give generously to those who have need of. The church at Corinth could have said, well, those poor folks down in Jerusalem, those poor old uh, Jews down there, they're just going to take care of themselves. Let them go ahead and pull up themselves by their own bootstraps. We'll take care of ourselves. We got enough problems of our own right here. This is the cry of so many urban churches, though. We got our own issues. And we do. But God has called us to a kingdom that's bigger than our own. God has called us to a kingdom work in our generosity that's bigger than our own. And here's the thing. If we can sing praises and exaltation to Jesus above all names, then guess what? We should say, Lord, my generosity should sing praises and exaltation to you as well. For his glory and his glory alone. I love this. In 2 Corinthians 8, 2. It says this, during a severe trial brought about by their affliction, talking about the Macedonian church, their abundant joy and their extreme poverty overflowed in a wealth of generosity. I want to tell you something. You really want to see the spirit of God move among a people? You say, well, isn't it about the gifts? Isn't it about people being fallen out and running around and doing backflips? Can I tell you something? That's emotion. You want to really see the spirit of God move among us? You want to really see the spirit of God change us? Let there be some repentance. Some going to your brother and saying, I'm sorry. Giving cheerfully to the work of the kingdom of God. That's when you know God's spirit is working. And here's what Paul is saying. He's saying to them, look, there are others who will give glory to God because of your generosity. Does our generosity reflect what we truly believe about the gospel of Jesus Christ? Does it reflect our worship of him? The question is this. It's not how we follow through on generosity when times are lean. It's how we follow through when things are prosperous. Things are great. This is a question for us. You say, well, if I was prospering, then I would give generously. Yet, yeah, what has God given you to use for his glory? I want to wrap it up this way. He says, in the very last part, thanks be to God for his indescribable What is this indescribable indescribable gift? Well, here's the thing. It's it's salvation. It's the grace of God. It's the, the mercy of God. And salvation doesn't just change our position with the Lord. It changes the very disposition of our hearts. It causes our hearts to overflow with thankfulness and generosity to the Lord because of his goodness towards us. So instead of hoarding, instead of being greedy, we desire to give away freely. When was the last time you gave in such a way? That said, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. So what's our next steps as we close? I want you to get your phone out, get a pen out. This is between you and the Lord, right? It's between you, it's between all of us and the Lord. I want you to think about this. Who gave so you could hear the good news? I mean, there was somebody along the line that gave generously so that somebody else could reach you with the gospel. Maybe the church you were going to, maybe the, the, the person who was a part of a ministry. Here's the next one. How is God challenging your view of generosity? What is a change you want to see in our community? The change you want to see in our state, in our nation, in our world. God's kingdom advancing in that way. Here's the last one. What is God challenging you to do? This is between you and the Lord. Maybe some of us are not giving anything. And you notice here, we're not shaming you. We're not, we never put anyone on blast. We don't even belabor the point of generosity. We just talk about it and move on. This is between you and the Lord. I'm talking if you're a Christian. What does God prosper you with? How are you going to use it for his glory? Maybe you're only giving a little. And you know, man, God's been challenging your heart. And God wants you to stretch yourself, to take a step of faith for his glory. Maybe you have been faithfully giving. You say, man, God, is it worth it? It is for his kingdom. You say, well, I hadn't seen anything. Come back to me. I hadn't seen anything. Does the scripture say that you don't immediately see whatever? Just trust him. Rest on what he's done. Be faithful, knowing that God is good to those who generous. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you so much that, Lord, all of us find ourselves in different positions and places, different financial situations in this room. God, there's some of us who have financial needs, Lord, and you know of them. Lord, some of us, Lord God, need you to step in and do a miracle in our lives. God, we know that you're well able. But, Lord, we want to be a people who are being good stewards of what you've given us, and to live in a way that glorifies your name. So, Father, I pray that you would work through us to see your kingdom advance in and through this neighborhood, in and through this community, in and through our world. Let it be said that when we go into 2020, Lord, God, we can look and see how your kingdom has advanced, Lord. God, you can do all things. And so, Father, I pray that we would see missionaries supported. Churches started, Lord. Lord, those who are broken, served. God, that you would give us a bigger vision that we could reach this city. We could reach our community, God, for the name of Jesus Christ. Lord, I thank you that you're showing us the next step. Lord, for some of us, maybe it is actually giving. For some of us, maybe it is going back to the Lord and asking him to show us what we need to do. Whatever it is, God, lead us and guide us for your glory. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.